0: Morning, everybody. Welcome to the first inaugural live Monday morning devotional with me sitting in my office at home. Uh, Yeah, I hope you guys are well. Uh, It was, uh, I I saw, obviously, we're not gathering for church right now, um, but I did see at the Costco we braved Costco the other day and I ran into uh, Mike and Monique Fow there who are at the church as well. And it was like this wonderful excitement of just seeing somebody from church at the store. So maybe, uh, the longer this goes, we will have to uh, plan our grocery trips together so that we can at least from a respectable social distance, see each other. Um, and what we're going to try to do, uh, on Mondays is do something with me short five to 10 minutes, uh, kind of looking at how I do my devotions and just sharing that with you guys. And I, I do want to give a little, two, two caveats here is one, this is what we're doing at our Bible reading group on Wednesdays at noon. And so if you want to join us at noon on Wednesdays on a Google link, it'll be posted here as well. Um, we're just doing that longer, more in depth, over an hour with more interaction from you guys. So if you want to interact with this, we'd love to have you join us on Wednesdays. But the goal of the Bible reading group and what I'm going to try to model here is really just uh, my devotions in the morning. And so I don't often have a full hour uh, to sit down and exhaustively study God's word. And because of that, a lot of us get disheartened when we do devotions in the morning because we feel like, oh, my goodness, um, we, we either just take you know one snapshot verse from something and we say, OK, I've read the Bible and that's good. Now we're moving on. Or we get disheartened that we uh, don't have an extended period of time to spend reading God's word. Um, but I say it, I often think of devotions this way is uh, there's some mornings with my wife and we just sit before the kids wake up and we'll have coffee. And there's really not much said. There's not a lot of dialogue going on. We're mostly just talking about what's going to go on over the course of the day. And yet those moments that I spend with my wife over a cup of coffee, um, not in super in-depth conversations are just a wonderful way to start the day. And we need to remember when we're reading God's word, the goal isn't just to read scripture. The goal isn't just to study scripture. The goal of reading scripture is, is communing with God, hearing God speak to us and knowing that he is able to speak to our souls and to bring us comfort. And so, um, I I like to think of my, uh, morning devotions as, as this sounds really cheesy, but it's just, it's, it's coffee with Jesus. I'm gonna take a drink. Cause I know I'm not gonna have a lot of time before kids wake up and I have to help Sarah get kids out the door, help Sarah get to work. Um, but when I sit down and I, I read this, I realize that the very when, I, when I'm reading things, I'm reading God's word, and it's such a benefit to us to hear that. And if your entire study is only consisting of coffee, if if your only diet you intake is coffee, it's not going to be a healthy spiritual life. And so that's why it's important in your devotions to have layers of amount of time you spend in God's word. And the mornings. Uh, it's good to just sit and listen and take something away simple and then build in maybe at doing discipleship with somebody diving deeper into God's word, studying God's word in depth there, listening to God's word more in-depthly during the sermon and hearing kind of different paces where you get coffee in the word, you get snacks in the word, and you get feasts in the word, and it takes a full diet of those to do it. And so I just want to eliminate the burden of morning devotions having to feel like this exhaustive study campaign in scripture. Um, God's Word is clear. God's Word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God's Word is for us. And so when we read it, we need to remind ourselves um, that we are hearing something miraculous and that the Holy Spirit is promising to do something inside of us through the God who speaks. So uh, I'm going to take the model we use on Wednesdays. It's the same model I'm actually using with my son, Owen, as we're reading through the Gospel of Mark. And that is that we read a text and we do three things after. We, have, we, we, we look, um, this is from our friends Gijo and Amy, in San Diego, Amy was up here last week, and, uh, or last fall with us, and we look up. That means we look at a text and we say, what is praiseworthy about God in this? What do we learn about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the Trinity? And then we look in. What does this say about us as image bearers of God? What does this say about us as um, male and female? What does this say about us as Christians And then, lastly, we look out. How does this shape the way we live on mission? How does this shape the way we live as disciples, church members, evangelists, all those things? And uh, it doesn't take a lot of time for Owen and I to do it. It takes 10 to 15 minutes of actually reading and then walking through it. And so that's what we're going to do. And so for today, I'm just sticking with what our reading is for the F260 Bible reading plan, which was Judges 6 and 7. And so if you haven't had a chance to read that yet, um, I just want to... uh, If you have a Bible, you get open to it. And I'm just going to give us a quick recap. Um, This is probably one of the token, if you grew up in the churches, uh, in the church, a a token VBS story. It's the story of Gideon. And in Judges, uh, we're going to read cycles of God sending a judge to save Israel and Israel falling into sin. And God sending a judge to save Israel and Israel falling into sin. And so Judges is, in my perspective, and we'll see this through the Bible reading group, one of the most depressing books of the Bible. And it's meant to be depressing. It's meant to make us long for a king who could rule this um, nation. And so in Judges 6, the Midianites have come and they're oppressing Israel. So much so that we meet the hero. Um, uh, 11. And Gideon is threshing his wheat, hiding in a wine press, So he's not seen by the Midianites. That's how oppressed Israel is at this point. They're terrified. Um... And they're being oppressed because God said to them, I'm the Lord, your God, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And so God goes to Gideon, this hiding man, and he says, Gideon, we are going to, um, I'm going to save Israel through you. And then eventually we keep reading, Gideon is suspect of that claim, and we'll come back and talk about that in a little bit. And um, he he says, God, prove yourself to me. And so God does this by, uh, or he brings this sacrifice to God and the angel of God miraculously caused it to be consumed by fire and Gideon gets strengthened a little bit. And so what happens is God tells Gideon, Hey, go destroy um, your father's idols. So the Asherah pole that was in his, um, backyard and the altar of Baal. And so Gideon went at night because he was scared. He went at night and he destroyed the Asherah pool and he, he destroyed the altar of Baal. And in the morning, the neighborhood wakes up and they are like, what is going on? Who is destroying these things? And they decide, because apparently Gideon is not very good at being a spy, uh, that Gideon did it. And they say, this is Gideon who, to- who broke the altar and cast down the idol. And they say to his dad, they say, bring him out and let's kill him. But his dad does something uh, that is really interesting is he says, why are you contending for your God? Your God will contend for himself. In other words, if your God is real, the God of these altars, then you don't need to go seek out Gideon. Your God will defend himself. But the point is, already in this text, that those idols are just idols. And God, the true God of Israel, is acting all over in this text. While the gods of the Amorites, the gods who the people of Israel are secretly falling in love with, are unable to do anything to defend even their idols, let alone their people. And so after that, um, God is pulling Gideon to go fight the Midianites and Gideon asks for a sign. And so he he puts out the fleece, the fleece gets wet once. Um, Gideon says, uh, great, do it again. And then he puts the fleece out and it's only the ground that's wet as a proof again. And then he goes to battle and there's this, he goes with 20,000 men. Eventually God weans it down to 300 men. And then uh, miraculously, uh, Gideon defeats the Midianites um, by kind of the surprise attack. And the Midianites are thrown into confusion. The people of Israel pursue them. And uh, the good guys win in this cycle of the judges. And so that's kind of the basic overview of Judges 6 and 7. And what I want to do now is walk through that look up, look in look out with you. And as I look, as I read through judges six and seven, I'm struck by two things. And I'm struck by God's, when it comes to looking up, I'm struck by God's immense grace and God's great care. We see God's immense grace all over in this text because Gideon, whenever we meet him, he is fearful. He is the last man we want leading us, and he expresses those fears to God. He expresses his weaknesses to God, and God time after time after time, whether it's the angel of the Lord and the sacrifice or whether it's the fleece or whether it's this prophetic dream that predicts his defeat over Midian, um, God is so incredibly gracious to this weak man named Gideon. And we also see that God is God greatly cares for for his people. This comes at a time where the people of God are absolutely terrified. It says, whenever the Israelites, in verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the East would come against them. They would encamp against them and devour their produce, leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or donkeys, for they would come up with their livestock and in their tents, and they would come like locusts in number, both they and their camels, and could not be counted, so that they laid waste. Um, they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was va- brought very low because of Midian. And the people cried out to the help to the Lord. And so, um, even when God meets Gideon, Gideon doesn't know he's talking to the angel of the Lord. Um, and he says to uh, Gideon in verse 12, uh the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And that's really ironic, and we're talking talk about that in a second. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And why are all his, where are all his wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the irony of that is, is that God has not forsaken his people. The people have forsaken God. And yet in this story, this active God is setting out all through the book of Judges. God is coming to his people. God is answering his people's call for help. God is everywhere in this text. And so we see God's immense grace and we see God's immense care for his people And that transitions all the more to those who are saved by his blood in Jesus Christ. God desires to be gracious and long-suffering, and God cares for us even when it seems that we are stricken by fear, that we are isolated, and that we don't know what is going on, which is really similar to our climate right now everyone in this passage is alone. Everyone in this passage is scared because Midian is oppressing them. But in the midst of it, God is comforting those who are fearful and God is calling them to consider that he has not stopped working his wonderful might of salvation. And then, so that's looking up. We see God's immense grace. We see God's immense care. And then when it comes to looking in, what does this passage say about us as image bearers, as Christians, disciples, church members, evangelists, um, We say how easy it is to lose sight of God in the midst of our calamities, right? Gideon is uh, hiding in a hole in the ground. And all of God's people are saying, where is God's mighty works? It's like they've forgotten everything that God has done. They've forgotten the previous cycle of judges. They've forgotten God's faithfulness in um, bringing them into the promised land. They've forgotten God's faithfulness in parting the Red Sea. They've forgotten God's faithfulness in bringing them out of Egypt with the ten plagues. And how easy it is for us to become so myopic when things are are hard in our lives that we forget that God is always faithful to his people. God has never shown um, that he is disinterested in drawing near to us. And what I love about this is there's this hinge point in the story of Gideon. For the most part, Gideon uh, shows a lot of distrust, actually a lot of fear, but there's a change that kind of pushes Gideon over the edge and it comes after Gideon brings Uh, Something to sacrifice and the angel of the Lord touches the sacrifice and it miraculously burns up in fire This is in chapter 6 verse 20 Um, And then the angel of the Lord vanishes and it picks up in verse 22 It says this then Gideon perceived that he that's the angel or the the man who disappeared was the angel of the Lord and Gideon said alas, O Lord God for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And I think that's something that's so interesting because Gideon knows that God is going to call him to do um, dangerous, scary, fearful things. And the turning point was that God says to Gideon, when Gideon realizes that it's God who's calling him, it's God who's interacting him, and God says, "Uh, uh, peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. And the turning point in Gideon's life was the promise of salvation, not the removal of trials. And I think that's something really unique, because here we're going to see Gideon being broken, we're going to see Gideon being fearful, just like us. And what gave him hope was not that God would say, all right, Gideon, I understand you're scared. You don't have to fight the Midianites. You don't have to do anything like this anymore. That's not what God said. God promised to bring him peace and that he would not die. And I think for us, um, when we think of the trials in our life, we think if God wants to bring us peace, that he's going to remove anything that causes us fear and anything that causes us danger. But for the Christian, like Johnny talked about yesterday um, in the book of Colossians, For a Christian, our greatest peace doesn't come from the removal of trials, but the promise that in Jesus, we will not die. The promise that we will never die the second death because Christ has taken care of our sin. And that means that even though we have to go fight, um, nations bigger, stronger, more powerful than us, even though we are fearful hiding in a wine press, that we have the peace of, of salvation promised and applied. And we are waiting for that hope to be given to us. And, um, I know for me, what this sets up, this this peace of God, knowing that it comes in being saved from eternal death, uh, it means that I need to have a different perspective on my trials. And I love the weaning of uh, Gideon's men. And I don't know if you know this story, but this is what happens in uh, verses 28, or excuse me, chapter 7 verses one and following. And if you're in the ESV, it's titled Gideon's 300 men. Uh, but if you're, I'm actually reading from the CSB for my devotions right now, I just like to mix up what I'm reading. And the heading is God selects Gideon's army. And I love that heading so much more because what Gideon has done is he's traveled throughout the land because he knows God is with him. And, uh, he comes back and he, after getting, calling for aid from the tribes of Israel. He has 20,000 men with these 20,000 men. He's going to go and he's going to attack Midian, but God is going to choose his army. Gideon doesn't get to choose his own army. And so God takes this 20,000 people and he says this in um, chapter or verse two, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me saying my own hand has saved me. And so in other words, remember what is happening in this text. God's people are saying, oh my goodness, where is God? And what God is doing to answer them, he's, he's proving that this victory is going to come and it's going to come only at the hand of God. God wants to give you strength. God wants to encourage us in our weakness. And in order to do that, he has to show that it's only God who can deliver us, which means that sometimes God's greatest grace in our life is showing us that we are incapable of saving ourselves sometimes God's greatest grace is showing us how small we are and how big he is. And that's a really uncomfortable place to be in. And so what happens is God comes and we see God's grace. He looks to these 20,000 men and he says, if any of you are scared, go home and half of them leave 10,000 of them leave. And then twice more, God narrows down the, uh, this group of men to where there's only 300 left. And, uh, this is something that was true maybe for us with kind of the restrictions with COVID-19 it's been true for me with the building fund where whenever I feel comfortable about where I'm at and the things I have control over, God seems to, to narrow my army. God seems to, to pull away things that I'm trusting in. And I wrestle with those and I become fearful in those things. Like we get think, okay, we're great. If COVID-19 is places that uh, is not Missoula and then it gets here and then we're great as long as they don't shut down X and then X gets shut down. Um, And and it it, it makes us feel small, it makes us feel trapped, it makes us feel scared, but God's grace to us is showing us that we are not God, and that God has promised that we will not die, even though he's called us to his mission of making disciples, just as Gideon was called to deliver his people um, from Midian. God is going to do it. God is the hero of this story. And what's really cool is Gideon is both a man of terrible faith in this story, and he's both a man of great faith, right? He's found hiding, and God comes to this hiding Gideon, and he says something which is hilarious, um, right? So Gideon, verse eleven of chapter six, Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, "The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor." <laughs> you see, Gideon is not a man of valor but God calls him a man of valor. He is hiding, but God comes to him to strengthen him. And we see this all over where Gideon is saying, man, he says, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike Midian as one man. And so all through this, whether it's the fleece, and then ultimately when, um, God has narrowed, Gideon's troops to 300. What God does is he, he says, go down. If you don't have faith, go down to the camp of Midian and see what you hear. And he goes down there and he hears these men who have this dream of them being defeated. And at the end, um, uh, we see that they, uh, there is no other, er, where am I at here? Sorry. Um, verse 13, when Gideon came, behold, a man, this, this is a Midianite, was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it, so that it fell, and turned upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his com- comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, God has given Midian an- uh, God has given into his hand Midian in all the camp. And so there's this wonderful thing where God in, continues his grace to Gideon by pulling him down here and showing him, look, it, it has been spoken by the Midianites that you are going to have victory here. And Gideon has strength because of that. And so From the miracle of the angel of the Lord consuming the fire, to the miracle of the fleece, to the weaning of his men, to the promise of deliverance, Gideon is ebbing and flowing in his faith. He's like that man in the book of Mark who says, I believe, help my unbelief. But the miraculous thing is despite Gideon's fickleness, despite Gideon's weakness, despite Gideon's fear, in Hebrews 11, verse 32, he is listed as a hero of faith. And this is wonderfully encouraging to us because we will have fears. But if our faith is in Jesus, faith rewrites our history. What Jesus has done on the cross has rewritten our history. Because what stands out about Gideon's life is the miracle of his faith. To follow, even fearfully, in the faith of Jesus. To go bit by bit forward knowing that God is with him. And God is so gracious to lead him on in that manner. And so what this means when we begin to look out right? We've looked up, we've seen God's grace, we've seen God's care, we look in, we see how fickle our hearts are, and how God has promised deliverance. When we look out, we have seen something far more than just a prophecy of victory. We stand as people who have heard the gospel, right? We saw this in 1 Peter chapter 1, um, when we were looking at this two weeks ago, where he says this, um, it was revealed to them, that's the prophets of the Old Testament, they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, things from heaven into which angels long to look. Our life is riddled with things that by God's grace are meant to make us feel small. COVID-19, a building fund, health issues, um, the economy, wrestling with kids, um, Wrestling with kids, like the emotional weight, and I guess if wrestling, if you've got big kids, it's hard to wrestle with kids. Um, all these things that that make us feel weak, that make us feel like we can't go on. But when we look at the gospel, we see that not only has like the the Midianites, not only has God promised that victory has come, but we have the witness that victory has been accomplished. We hear the gospel, we see the empty tomb, we have witness of the ascended Savior. How much more should we then, as God's people? Be able to to look around like Gideon should have been able to and see, man, God is not distant from us. God's wonderful works are everywhere in my life because he has opened my blind eyes to see the wonder of Jesus. And because of that, in faith and in fear, sometimes in cycles, we continue to trust that God is gracious to us and God is always caring for us, even when we seem that we are a 300-man small army going up against great nations. And so when it comes to discipleship in this time, when it comes to Bible reading, when it comes to putting off sin, man, we have seen the promise of God's deliverance in Jesus Christ. And our weaknesses have been overcome by the God who has called us to his glory through Jesus Christ. And so that was a lot. This was my first time doing it. I said five to 10 minutes. We are at 23 minutes right now. Um, But I love the story of Gideon. I love that we see God's grace. I love that we see our own fickle hearts and God's gentleness towards us. And we see how ultimately it's the cross of Jesus who speaks to our life, promising us peace, promising us that we will not die because Christ has died for us. And because Jesus has removed that, we know that in the storms of this life, we can have peace because we've seen something greater than Gideon has ever wanted to see. And we've been delivered from an enemy far greater than the Midianite men. We've been delivered from our sin. So that's just a glimpse into uh, kind of what my devotions look like um, in Judges 6. I think we're going to do this again next week, but we're going to do this together, hopefully with more interaction and less monologue uh, Wednesday at our Bible reading group. So thank you guys um, for stopping by. I promise I'll try to make this shorter next time. um, And I hope you guys have a great day. See you later.